I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome, everybody, to the Hammer and Rails podcast. With you, as always, I'm your host, Andrew Ledman. And with me today, I've got a special guest, uh, co-manager of Hammer and Rails, one of our football gurus. Drew Schneider is with me today to talk uh, Purdue's recent recruiting class. Drew, how you doing today? Doing all right. It's a sort of a gray, stormy day in Athens, Georgia, uh, but uh, hanging in there. Yeah, it's hard to keep track of where you are. You know, you've lived in all the big cities. Uh, you lived in Manhattan for a little while. Uh, I should note that that's Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, you know, no, but, yeah, it's not the Yeah, bi- I mean, big city regardless, so you're all over the place. Um, but as I said, you're one of our football guys, our football football gurus, so you're here to talk uh, about the recent signing class for Purdue. Uh, Purdue had 12 guys sign, and then in addition, uh, recently Purdue had Hudson Card from Texas uh, commit and sign via the transfer portal, and we got news as well uh, that Brady Allen who entered his name in the transfer portal, is coming back to Purdue. So I thought starting at the quarterback position would be uh, the best bet because, as I said, we've got Hudson Card, who's the biggest name, the return of Brady Allen, and then Purdue also signed a quarterback, Ryan Brown, out of New York. Um, So can you just give me an idea of what you think the quarterback room is going to look like next year, uh, given these three guys? I mean, it's going to be Card and uh, Brady Allen sort of battling it out for the starting role with uh, Brown, you know, the third-string guy or or even the redshirt guy with a, a walk-on filling that third-string role. Um, you know, Card's obviously the big name. He was a, a big-time recruit coming out of uh, Lake Travis uh, High School. Uh, you know, high four-star guy, 
one of the top dual threats in the core uh, country, um, top 100 nationally. He's got all the accolades. Um, so, uh, and he's he's a good fit for what uh, Graham Harrell wants to do in the offense. Yeah, he's, he sees the field well. He gets it out quick. He's not maybe going to wow you with his arm strength, although his arm's plenty strong. Um, but he's the guy that's going to be able to sort of get the ball, get it out. He played in a, a really sort of, uh, you know, NFL offense on most high school, and he's been at Texas for a couple of years, um, and he's done really well at Texas when he's played. I mean, he's, uh, as a, what, as a sophomore, or in his second year, he threw for five touchdowns and uh, one interception, and last year he threw for six touchdowns and one interception, so... When he's played, he's played well. It's just, uh, you know, that wasn't always an option at uh, Texas. Yeah. Um, well, the the thing with Texas is they're always on the precipice of being back, or they're back, and then you right. know they fall back, and then they gotta they gotta keep going. But I mean, yeah, to your point, he's got um, in two seasons uh, at Texas plus one where he threw only uh, three passes. Um, he's got over uh, 1,500 yards, 11 touchdowns, two interceptions, uh, with a completion percentage uh, in the in the high 60s. So you love those numbers. He obviously is going to come in as the the most heralded uh, quarterback in that room. Um, we did see, as I said, that Brady Allen is coming back to Purdue after entering his name in the transfer portal. Do you think it's going to be a true competition between Card and Allen? Or is the fact that that card is more of a dual threat and a mobile quarterback going to give him the edge because that is what Graham Harrell has kind of hinted at that he wants to have uh, at the quarterback position? Yeah, don't don't get it twisted. Brady Allen can run too, so he's a uh, he's not quite the sort of quick runner that uh, Card is, where Card will just tuck it and pick up uh, you know five or six yards and scoot out of bounds. Or you know he had a couple nice runs uh, for Texas this uh, last season as well. He's a guy that's gonna that is is more of what you consider like the traditional scrambling quarterback, but Allen's more of that big, strong, long striding quarterback that also can run. Um, like not comparing them at all, other than just like sort of size and running style is right. like a Josh Josh Allen ability to be be a big, strong arm quarterback who can also move around in the pocket and and run run a little bit. So, um, you know. Allen has got all the physical tools. Uh, obviously, Card comes in as, as playing at a, a higher level of high school football and then obviously having played for Texas uh, in the big games. I mean, it's not like Hudson Card was coming in and playing scrubs. He played most of the Alabama game right. after you were not hurt. And, you know, 14 for 22 for 160 yards. Uh, no touchdowns, but no interceptions. UTSA, who was really good this year, he threw it, played against them, threw a touchdown, no picks. Texas Tech, two touchdowns, one interception, 277 yards. West Virginia, 21 for 27. That was his best game, was his last game he basically played. Was, uh, West Virginia, 21 for 27, 300 yards, three touchdowns. And, you know, and he didn't get to start in week six because yours came back. So that's sort of the writing's on the wall when you basically play almost perfect game at quarterback and don't keep the starting job. Yeah. Uh, probably not a big reason for you to stick around much longer to see how it plays out. Right, and especially now they have the number one recruit in the nation, Arch Manning, coming in. Um, 
and Arch Manning is not committing to your school to sit on the bench and learn for a couple years, you know, he's going there to play. So I would imagine, uh, I, I would be very shocked if Arch Manning is not the guy taking snaps in week one for Texas, but you just never know. I mean, things happen. Uh, but for Card, he would invariably be number three on the depth chart. So it made sense for him to get out of there and Purdue seemed like a very welcoming spot. Um, Apparently, he spoke with Drew Brees while Brees was allowed to uh, recruit for Purdue. Don't know how much you know sway that held. Uh, both Texas guys, rival high schools. So I'm sure there was a bit of a connection there, but y- you just never know how much any one factor plays into these decisions. And also keep in mind, third in the depth started at Texas does not mean you're the third best quarterback. A lot right. of times you're not the guy that the boosters want to see on the field at any particular time. Yeah, it's a very uh, it's a very politically charged situation down there in Texas football. Yeah, yeah. So you know, Card's going to come in, and there's going to be a competition between him and Allen. I I do think they're they're on equal footing as this is the first their first year in this offense, so they're going to going to be who can pick it up the fastest and who can uh, you know execute what he wants uh, Harold wants to see, which is getting the ball out. You know, he'll Harold uh, will attack downfield, but a lot of what he does is get the ball out quick to crossers, uh, outs, screens uh, to the outside, using sort of the passing game as an extension of the run game uh, a lot. Um, it's sort of it'll look similar to the brawl offense, but just a little quicker, so you won't have so many plays where the quarterback stands there and holds it and holds it and hits that. 15 to 7 tries to get that 15 to 17 yard pass it'll be a lot of balls in the quarterback's hands balls out of the quarterback's hands into somebody else who can run with the ball okay um so so that's i'll expect a little bit more tempo a little bit more of that just getting the ball out uh a little bit faster to the outside to let people run uh make some plays. So, you know, Card's good at that, uh, but there's no saying that Brady Allen can't do that as well. He's got all the physical uh, skills. So that was really going to be how, you know, where it plays out in uh, camp. And I, I mean, Allen must have, it must have been sort of relayed to him that it was, you know, still an open job. Um, but in the same point, if he wants to play D1 football, I don't think he was going to find a, a D1 starting job right out, like guaranteed anywhere. Yeah. yeah. You know, you may as well stay at Purdue and fight it out. Um, but that's sort of what I see. And then Brown is actually, you know, he's from New York. Uh, he played his uh, sort of graduate ball in New York, but he's from Florida uh, originally. Um, and he's, he was, I was really excited that Purdue was able to, uh, to sign this kid. Uh, he was a really a late sort of bloomer, a kid that didn't step in and, and become like a star at his high school until his senior year. But some of that's because like his high school was stacked. Um, but he was, you know, the eight, a player of the year and Mr. Florida runner up at Venice high school and won a state championship, um, threw for 31 touchdowns and seven interceptions. And that's at the highest levels of high school football you can play at. And then ran for 500 over 500 yards and eight touchdowns. MVP of the state championship game, first team all state. I mean, those, yeah, you'll take you'll thing. take things like that for sure. You love yeah. winners, especially in the quarterback position. And and it's not like he's some sort of like try hard, uh, you know, the small. He's ideal size, six four, one not two hundred pounds, has a good arm, um, and so 
Purdue was lucky to pick somebody up like that as as the third as their third quarterback. Um, and so I think they'll be uh, the quarterback room set. Like there's talent there all the way good, one good. through three or one through four. Yeah, and I mean we we've seen at Purdue where they have been most successful is when there is a reliable person uh, behind center. So that's good to hear for the foreseeable future. Now this recruiting class, uh, pretty small for now, only 12 guys signed and there was a heavy emphasis on defense Uh, of the 12, seven of them are listed as uh, on defensive positions. Two of them show as athletes. So um, I know, you know, you get recruited for a specific position, but you never really know where guys who are listed as athletes are truly going to end up. So seven of the 12, um, our, our pure defense with two question marks and then three on offense. And we've already talked about Ryan Brown, uh, the quarterback. So is there anybody uh, in this signing class, in this signed class, who you think can uh, make an immediate impact uh, next season for Purdue? I don't see a whole lot of like, there's not anybody that stands out like flashing lights. There's this guy is going to be like out of the box, a star. Um, you know, there's usually one or two guys in a class. This is such a small class, maybe one that sort of outplays his ranking and uh, steps in and plays a role as a freshman. Um, you know, Zion Gunn uh, out of uh, Winter Park, Florida, is a lanky 6'2", 180-pound corner. Um, Purdue needs corners. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so, like, if I was going to say, you know, out of guys that may make get on the field early gun could definitely he's got size and good speed uh to maybe step out on onto the field and play a role at corner i mean harkless is jamarian harkless from frederick douglas out of lexington is one of the guys that signed late that was pretty much a you know ryan walters uh signing um and he's a monster at 6'4 320 and he's got had a great sort of offer list um you know, obviously Illinois was recruiting him, uh, Auburn, Ole Miss. Um, but, you, you know, you go down, and, and it's always tough to, to say which offer offers are actually offers and which yeah. aren't. Like, yeah. But, like, Georgia offered him at some point. I don't know what that means. But uh, Yeah, it's like, it was was it a committable offer or was it like a, hey, we'd, you know, love to have you, we'll keep in touch kind of situation. Because if you're a a recruit on Twitter and you get a letter or something from, you know, Kirby Smart from Georgia where he's like, yeah, we'd love to have it, you're going to tweet that out because that makes you more desirable because then other coaches are going to see it and be like, "Ah, well, I don't know, George is interested in this guy, let's take another look at him. So it's this weird situation where these recruits have to sell themselves not only just, you know, on the field, but they have to make themselves look like others are interested. It's a very weird situation, especially for these guys that Purdue gets that are, you know, fringe four stars or just three star recruits. And it's always sort of, and, and they is very true. It's not possible that, you know, they have offers, but not an offer where you can call and say, Hey, I want to play for you right now. Right. A lot of them is offers like if, this guy and this, we miss on this guy and this guy, then you're like third or fourth in line. Yeah. And that's still an offer. I mean, you're still in line, but it's not like you can call up and be like, Hey, I want to play, but I, I don't, I don't know what exactly, you know, I'm not saying that that's the case with Harkless. I'm sure a lot of teams wanted him, um, you know, old Miss. He visited old Miss. He visited Auburn. 
So when you're taking official visits, obviously those teams want to bring you in. He lists LSU as having an offer in Michigan. So this dude's, uh, you know, as far as offer list goes, one of the best I've seen at Purdue. Um, and some of that just has to do with how, like, his size. You just don't find a lot of 6'4", 320-pound nose tackles that can move uh, as well as he does. Uh, so I don't know if you'll see him this year. Yeah, I mean, it's, pretty... it's, it's a hard position to come in and play as a freshman. I mean, you have yeah. to be pretty darn big and pretty darn strong to be able to to go up uh, against Big Ten offensive lines as a freshman, you know, as an 18-, 19-year-old. That's a tough, tough thing to ask. Yeah, you know, Lawrence Johnson did it a little bit at Purdue, and so did uh, Lorenzo Neal. But some of that was just like they didn't have anybody else. Yeah, was, some of that was necessity. So Thrown into the fire, and, you know, with Cole Brevard and, uh, oh, my gosh, the kid from value transfer that hurt his ankle in spring camp, and his name is escaping me right now. Lewis is his last name. He's uh, he'll he'll be back and he'll play some of that nose too. So they don't need him, but I, I think he's a guy that you could definitely see make an impact out of this class. And oh, Demare Lewis. Play. Yeah, Demare Lewis. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Will Helt's got nice size, length coming off the edge. Uh, six six two forty. And they did a good job of sort of. Signings, you know, a, a bunch of Indiana kids this class, um, but there are a lot of sort of wait and see how this turns out. Not like, oh my God, I can't, like he's gonna start from day one and set the world right. on fire. There's no Rondale Moore or George Karloftis, yeah, or so, even David Bell. But but that's not to say that any of these guys couldn't step up and, and do that. It's just impossible to predict. Yeah, that. yeah. It's so much harder in football than it is in basketball when you you can truly see someone's star quality in a basketball game versus when you're watching a football game, there are so many other factors involved. You know, what kind of scheme the, the team is playing, who they're playing against, um, what kind of players are around them. So much of it can, can contribute to what a player looks like on tape for a football game. But once Ryan Walters uh, stepped in and became the head coach at Purdue, uh, Jeff Brom obviously headed down to Louisville Purdue lost uh, a handful of commitments, and you know those guys obviously didn't sign. They wound up elsewhere. Was there anyone there uh, who you really view as a huge loss uh, for Purdue? Uh, hold on, let me pull their name up real quick because they're both in the Louisville class, which is super weird, right? Yeah, I wonder how that happened. I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine any connection between what's going on at Louisville and uh, what happened at Purdue. It, yeah, it, it, it's always it's always so weird because you just as a coach you're selling these guys on your program and on yourself, and then you know two weeks later you're like, oh by the way, I don't work here anymore, and everything I said about that program and the university, don't worry about that, just follow me. Right, and you know some of it was um, you just saw some guys that you kind of go, wow, oh, it's kind of weird that all of a sudden Purdue just started recruiting. Louisville again this season and yeah, those guys a coincidence. Happened, happened to jump over like Micah Carter out of St. Xavier and, and Louisville uh, is, is one of the guys I mean, that's probably one of the bigger losses of the, of the recruiting class he was a really good defensive lineman and yeah I was sort of surprised when he signed with Purdue and then when Brom went to Louisville I kind of went hmm that just actually makes a little bit more sense now 
uh, about why he was you know signed with Purdue and then immediately jumped over to yeah. um, to Louisville when that when that happened. So you know, wish him nothing but the best. Uh, but that was sort of a tough deal for yeah. the for Purdue. Uh, Jeff Brom certainly didn't do any uh, the Boilermakers many favors uh, on the way out the door. Yeah, that was that was going to be my next question. So if you if you head over to Rivals and kind of look at the the team recruiting rank, Purdue sits at sixty sixth. Uh, in the country, clearly not where you want to be. Uh, that's just about the midpoint of football programs. Um, and, you know, it is only 12 people. And I know the recruiting rankings, oftentimes the more commitments, the better your ranking is just because uh, it's it's how they do their, um, you know, how they total all the stars and your average star and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I understand that the size of the class hurts Purdue a little bit. But what do you think about this what do you think it was about this class that caused it to be such a kind of mid-level, you know, middle-of-the-road uh, recruiting class? I mean, that's just sort of what all, all the players almost are, 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 not, are, are sort of mid-level, upper-to-mid-three-star mid guys, uh, guys that you would be real happy if they were like your fifth or sixth best player in the class, but not like your top two players in the class, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I'm glad. I'm not saying that any of these guys aren't good or don't deserve to be out there uh, or don't deserve a scholarship because obviously, you know, these are all just elite athletes who uh, put it on the line uh, in high school and enough where they're playing division one football. So, but um, at the same time, just just no real headliner, uh, no, like Ryan Brown is, un, uh, I like him as a recruit, but it wasn't like he was a guy that was bringing in people with him. Um, just not a whole lot of cohesive uh, leadership in the class, I guess. Everything was so piecemeal with at Purdue, and uh, while it's apparently blindsided a lot of people, I feel like the move to Louisville was not a wholly unexpected and may have been sort of mentioned a little bit in while people were recruiting maybe out uh, by outside. Yeah. Recruiting, to, using it as a recruiting tool against Purdue saying, you know, he's not going to be there. He, he's as soon yeah. as that Louisville jobs open, he, he's gone this time. Yeah. Yeah. And so that makes it, you know, harder to, to recruit. Uh, so it is what it is. This isn't the class. I don't think we're going to look back and be like, this is the class that pushed Purdue to greatness, but um, it's a class that they probably going to you know, be able to fill some holes in the transfer portal with uh, that they missed out on, maybe yeah. pick up a couple guys late um, to sort of round it out. But like I said, middle of the road, some of these guys could be great. Some of them will probably wash out pretty quick, and some of them will be hopefully on the bench for a few, two or three years, and then come in and really uh, turn it on as upperclassmen. So yeah, I mean, you just – you just never know how how a guy's going to come in, what he's going to do with his body, how he's going to improve. But to your point about how kind of everyone in this class is like cluttered in the middle, again, you go to Rivals and you look at their rating. They not only give them a star rating, they give them a point rating. Um, Purdue has the 12 verbals, but they also have – or I'm sorry, the 12 signed, but then three verbals. If you look at all 15, uh, the range from the points is 5.3 to 5.8. So – only a half point difference between Purdue's lowest ranked recruit and their highest ranked recruit in the class. So not a lot of variation there. But so my last question for you uh, is what you were just touching on there 
Uh, the transfer portal is open. Um, it'll close here in, in not too long, but then it reopens again um, before football season one more time. What does Purdue need to look at? What positions does Purdue need to focus on um, in order to kind of plug any holes that this most recent graduating class, the portal, people who left in the portal, or anything else um, have caused? What does Purdue need to find? I mean, safety and corners, there's like three of them left on the roster. <laughs> um, and so that is going to be a big issue. Um, you know, Walters is out there looking for safeties right now. Uh, and so that's, he's a safeties coach. He's played safety. Um, I expect good safety play out of Purdue. And I expect that to be a draw. So I would not be surprised if Purdue signs a, a really good safety in the portal. Um, same, same with corner. There's opportunity. Like that's one thing that Purdue has to sell in the transfer portal right now is opportunity, not only to play in Ryan Walters defense, uh, you know, and why, and I say Ryan Walters defense, but he's not the like all encompassing uh, head coach coordinator. Right. Uh, right. We saw from Brom. So you will um, see uh, him actually sort of set the tone with the defense and maybe put in some of the stuff, but he won't be the guy calling the plays, which will be nice uh, in my opinion. I agree. Um, but um, yeah, that's sort of uh Definitely defense. Uh, the defensive line's not too bad. Uh, an extra pass rusher might be nice. I don't really have one, uh, but uh, Brown does like, or Walter's defense does like to get after it from play at that three-three-five stack uh, some, and so to get after it from the linebacker position and even the safety position. So I like the linebackers all right. Um, defensive line could just use that one sort of, pass rusher off the edge offense uh, you know always looking for offensive linemen yeah hopefully that's not a common refrain anymore but just always looking for starters depth guards uh Imbo's great i think he'll be entrenched as a starter i mean you've got some guys coming back eric miller's coming back which is nice that'll help on the right side of the at, at tackle um you know uh the other the the other transfer that came in last year who got hurt got hurt yeah uh he's he's coming back um so that could be good at tackle um just finding guard another guard maybe um and then running backs pretty set right. uh wide receiver is I wide mean, receiver Brock, to it, it, who even knows a wide receiver i mean it it seemed like we had a very stacked wide receiver room. Like we were ready to go. It was going to be a, a position of strength. And then it was basically Charlie Jones and no one else. I mean, that's sort of the brawl offense, right? Is yeah. just I mean, Rondale is, Moore, David Bell, Charlie Jones. Yeah. Just find the guy and, and throw it to him a lot. Uh, and then hoard wide receivers further down the roster when you only throw it to one or two. It wasn't always confusing to me. There's plenty of options at wide receiver. How, who knows if they're good options? Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, we have guys, uh, obviously Sheffield could step up and be, or, you know, a go-to guy or Mershon Rice who played a good bit this year. Who's a really uh, good athlete. Um, Deion Jones, um, is sort of that quick, uh, that fast twitch guy. Uh, Rockmon is 
sort of a bigger possession receiver, Preston Terrell, who apparently, I guess, is on the team. Like, we recruited him, and he haven't done anything with him for a couple of years. But I think he's, uh, you know, he was a downfield threat in high school and uh, can do some stuff. So I, I think a lot of these guys uh, are going to be excited to be sort of playing with the, uh, on an offense that spreads the ball out yeah, a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, and, and just... Charlie Jones, Charlie Jones, and Payne then Durham. You know, Payne Durham, and then reset, yeah. maybe throw a screen pass to Maccabee. And then anything else is always felt like it was an afterthought, like, well, Charlie Jones is triple teamed, and I'm about to get tackled. I guess I will throw it to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, and we can't forget Brock Thompson supposed to be coming back after the uh, double knee surgery that he had last offseason. Uh, tried to come back this year, just couldn't couldn't cut it with the knees. So uh, we hope he's healthy for next season because he showed in that bowl game two years ago what he was capable of. So hopefully we can get that. That would be a great help for the offense. So, um, Drew, we're about to head out. Any final thoughts on this recruiting class uh, or the new coaching staff for Purdue? Uh, recruiting classes are done yet, and I can almost guarantee this will be the absolute lowest-ranked recruiting class of the Ryan Walters uh, experience uh, while he's at Purdue. If you just look at the coaching staff he's brought in, and maybe we'll spend some time sort of going over that in another podcast because I could spend another half hour talking about those guys. <laughs> but he's brought in uh, just a ton of young, hungry coaches, and it just really screams good, great recruiting uh sort of coaching staff uh, which you know has its advantages obviously bringing in more talent and its disadvantages where you know experience is kind of nice and sometimes right yeah uh, so it's going to be a trade-off uh there um but uh yeah recruiting next year look for this class look for them to kill it Purdue's going to be uh, a popular destination uh i think uh surprisingly for a lot of people well, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. So there we go. Drew, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, for everybody listening, stick around. Uh, the second half of the podcast is going to be Ryan and I talking about the upcoming game uh, against Nebraska. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome, everybody, to the Hammer and Rails podcast. With you, as always, I'm your host, Andrew Ledman. I'm Ryan Bonaparte. And we're here tonight. We're going to talk about Purdue's upcoming game against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. This is going to be a uh, second game this season against the two. You'll recall they played uh, at Nebraska, and uh, that game went to overtime. Purdue came out victorious 65-62. to uh, That was Purdue's mm-hmm. second win in conference 
And uh, now Purdue has not played since their victory over Penn State, so they've got a little bit of breathing room uh, to kind of compose themselves, get ready to go. So uh, this game is set for Friday, and this one is in Mackey Arena, so it should be uh, should be a good atmosphere. Students, I believe, are back on campus at this point, so uh, going to be a really exciting time uh, to watch a Purdue game back in Mackey, 7 p.m. tip on BTN. So uh, since this is the only thing we're going to cover tonight, I thought uh, it would be good to do another question. So, Ryan, are you ready? I am, and shout-out to at Houston KJR. I still have a job, despite my <laughs> lack of playing punch-out. Yes, we, we, we had a meeting, decided not to, uh, not to let you go, uh, despite not playing punch-out. But, you know, uh, I think people, if they don't listen to every episode, might not realize that you are, you know, 23 years old. Uh, close. 25. 25. Well, well, either way, I am 37, so, uh, you know, quite a bit different there, and, uh, you know, we're still learning and growing about our, our generational differences. So, to that end, this is going to be a question that I think will reveal some generational differences, um, and I'm going to ask my brother who is listening to this podcast, uh, David, you're going to want to skip ahead because this is probably going to annoy you, so... Uh, we'll see if he does listen to this episode. Ryan, what is your favorite Disney animated movie? Disney animated. Okay. No, pi- I'm not including three- Pixar. Okay. No Pixar, just Disney. Okay. Um, You want my number one or you want like my top three? Okay, we'll do top three. But again, I want you to go from three to one, just like we did with the, the candies. Okay. Um, Number three, Brother Bear. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That is honest. That's mm-hmm. one of one of the I think there's like 60 Disney animated movies. That is one I've never seen. Oh, it is. Now, mind you, when it came out, I was six. So <laughs> it's got that it's that level of ingrainment in my head. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it, it's classic for me. I also had the video game on my Game Boy at the same time. Uh, there was a Brother right Bear after. video game. Oh yeah, I didn't yeah. Know. You had to go ahead and collect all your like totems. It was a it was a grand old time. Okay. Um, number two, I would have to go Treasure Planet. Oh man, that honest to god, another one I've never seen. I mean, it's Treasure Island in space. You can't go wrong, and it's Joseph Gordon Levitt. So yeah, fantastic. Yes, those are my two odd ones. Believe me, I have a better one. Okay. My number one is The Lion King. Okay. <laughs> so the <laughs> despite coming out three years before i was born right it's still my so uh you know i told my brother david to skip ahead him and my older brother Bo. they're they're the two oldest of the four brothers and uh they're both teachers and my oldest brother Bo has called uh my generation the lion king generation uh for as mm-hmm. long as i can remember because he says that's like the one touchstone that unites everyone in my generation um, so it's just so interesting that you say the Lion King, even though technically you're, a, you're in a generation below me, but, uh, it spans mm-hmm. generations and it is just a fantastic movie. Absolutely. I mean, if you don't cry when, uh, when Mufasa dies, I mean, oh yeah, do you have a heart? Right. When, when Simba comes down from the end of the valley and like puts his paws on him. Oof. Mm-hmm. When he nudged him. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's rough. But here's um, my question, my counter question. Okay. How do you feel about the live remake of The Lion King? Not seen it. 
I just, I don't know, I can't bring myself to watch it because the animated one is so perfect. I can't, and I know, like, the, the cast in The Lion King, the live-action one is great. I mean, it's got Donald Glover, it's got Beyonce, James Earl Jones again, you know, reprising his role, but I just, I don't know. There's something just so perfect about the original that I don't know that I can can tamper with it. Have you seen it? I have. The problem with it is it's too real. You cannot yeah. put human emotions on actual live-looking animals. Right, yeah, that's true. So... Yeah, I think but they had. A, I, I had to see it just for you know for seeing it. Say, yeah, I think they had a similar problem when they did the Jungle Book remake. You know, it's like they've got uh, you know Shere Khan and um, all the all the other animals, and you're just like Baloo, and you're just like, well, they're not really as playful as they are in the cartoon because if you're, right. you're you're trying to be real, you're trying to make it look real, but you know they smile quite a bit in the movies <laughs> so it, it's mm-hmm. difficult to do that um as well as you can in a cartoon so you got a good point there yeah so, so. i'll i'll tell you uh, as the host i'm going to i'm going to take a liberty and i'm going to give you a top 4 uh okay. top 4 disney movies because i think anybody who knows me would be upset if i didn't do a top 4 because there are two that stand out to me um but i can't put them in my top 2 so um i'm going to yeah. go number 4 I'm going to go a Goofy movie. Okay. Love a Goofy All movie. All right. Powerline. Love that movie. Powerline, probably the greatest fictional uh, musical artist of all time. Uh, Legitimately she, thought it was Michael Jackson for the longest time was the guy who voiced Powerline, and it was not Michael Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I, I see why. So I see why. Yeah. I mean, you know, Tevin Campbell just absolutely destroyed that. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, that one always stands out to me. And then number three, <laughs> number three, yeah, I know, stands good. out. That was good. Um, number three, I'm going to go The Emperor's New Groove. Ooh, Cusco, okay. Which is just, it's just such a wild, manic movie that uh, my friend uh, Casey, um, not from the podcast, but uh, a girl I went to Purdue with, uh, her and I love that movie and we'll send each other random uh, Emperor's New Groove gifts and quotes sometimes, so... Uh, that is definitely one of my top ones. So rewatchable. Okay. Just the fourth wall breaking. Just absolutely perfect. Uh, love everything about that movie. Yeah, and I may submit that Patrick Warburton should be in every movie ever. Oh, yeah. His voice, just absolutely great. I, uh, one okay, not the, top two. The, uh, the line in the movie that I just die all the time is when they're racing back to the uh, to get to the, uh, you know, the, the palace and... <laughs> they're like wait how did we beat them and patrick warburton's character cronk pulls down a map and is pointing at their past and goes well, i don't know by all accounts it doesn't really make sense and then they just move on because they're like it's a cartoon it doesn't matter i love it so mm-hmm. uh number two and i i go back and forth with this so if you ask me this in a month these two might be swapped uh number yeah. two i'm going the lion king for okay. obvious reasons i mean just uh, an ex- excellent movie uh Number one, Aladdin. I was gonna say it's either gonna be Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast. Uh, yeah, Beauty I mean, and the Beast, very good, but not in not in my top four. But I mean, Aladdin, great songs. Uh, you know, great comic relief with genie and uh, every everybody in that movie. I mean, it's just great. And you know, as a little kid, you watch that movie. Who didn't have a crush on Jasmine? You know, she was my favorite Disney princess. Just you know. You're like she's a cartoon, but yeah, you're you're like eight years old when that movie comes out. You're like, oh my god, she's beautiful. 
So uh, just top notch, top notch Disney movie right there, and un- unbeatable with Robin Williams as Vini too. Absolutely, and I think my favorite bird from a Disney movie is in that one with uh, Gilbert Gottfried, Gilbert Gottfried playing Iago. Yeah, Iago. It's it's just so wild when you think of they looked around at. Gilbert Godfrey's comedy, and we're like, yes, let's put him in a children's movie. Absolutely. And I mean, the I same mean, thing with, you know, he was in um, Problem Child, and you're like, yes, that's a kid's movie too. It's a little more adult, but like, the number of kids' movies that guy was in is absolutely wild. When you go back and look at everything else he said <laughs> in any of his comedy, it's just wild. And then he was one of the lead voices on uh, Cyber Chase, which was on like a PBS show. I did not know that. Did not know that. Yeah, also played a bird. Yep. <laughs> Maybe he just made quite the career out of playing a bird, I guess. He does have that loud, just, you know, grating uh, parrot voice. So maybe that's totally. what it is, just drawn to in the role. Any uh, any of the new Disney movies stand out to you? Yeah, a lot of them. Because, uh, you know, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old son. So he, he right now uh, he loves watching Cars. Um, okay. But that may be – is that Pixar? I think that may be Pixar. Yeah, that is Pixar. Um, but he yeah. really loved, uh, really loved Encanto, and that's mm-hmm. another one where, like, we, if you watch the whole movie and you actually, you know, watch, sit down and watch it, and not just, you know, watch it while you're on your phone. If mm-hmm. if you watch it and you get to the end when she gets, you know, spoiler alert for a movie that came out two years ago, um, when she g- gets the doorknob, you're just like, if you're yeah. not at least tearing up a little bit, I question your humanity. Right. Yeah, plus I know for for any little kid, that movie's got such bright colors. Mm-hmm. It's like The Lion King did the same thing. Just the use of color in these movies is awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah. I also, any, 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 like Moana. Moana? Yes, very good. I mean, they, they don't, yeah. Disney doesn't miss very often. No. It's funny, two of the movies that I like are considered two of the misses. Yeah, though. they are. Yeah. Treasure Planet, I think, was one of the uh, ones that almost like doomed Disney at the time. Yeah, that it was, was very expensive, was, I think. Yeah, and it was right after the Renaissance, and that's where you had like your movies, like Home on the Range, came out at that point, Oof. and that movie was just a dud. Yeah. So. Yeah, and when the thing is too last... with, the, with with the animated movies, they take like a few years to make, and then when you when you sink a hundred million dollars into it, and then just like, oops. Oh well, I mean that's yeah. that's a heck of a lot of money to just wash wash down the toilet, you know, flush down the toilet. Um, so there we go. Uh, I hope my brother is now uh, fast forwarded through the Disney talk. We're gonna take a break that way uh, we can you know get this thing paid for. Throw some ads at you. Come back. Look ahead to Purdue's second game against Nebraska. Please let it be a Disney ad. And we're back. So. As we talked about at the top, before all the Disney stuff, uh, Purdue is returning home for their second meeting of the season against Nebraska. Um, Purdue comes in with just one loss in the Big Ten, uh, sitting at 4-1, and one, uh, I believe. I, you know, on yep. the spot, didn't have that in front of me and almost said five. Um, but, you know, they're, they're coming in after the victory over Penn State. Who, by the way, currently crushing Indiana, seventy-two to fifty-three, uh, with just under seven to go in the second half. So, uh, you know, the the Big Ten runs through Bloomington, just to let people know. Um, Thank you, John. Yes, thanks, John. Hope you're a listener. Um, and uh, 
So Purdue has a chance to put another victory on the board in Big Ten play. Uh, after beating Nebraska the first time by three in overtime, you'll remember that was a game where Zach Eady played 43 of the team's 45 minutes uh, and still only had 11 points but did grab 17 rebounds. So, um, Ryan, can you tell me anything about what Nebraska has done since Purdue defeated them? Um, Not a whole lot. I mean, <laughs> they, they have played, they've played plenty of Nebraska ball. <laughs> that they have. So they since have gone three and three, uh, beating Queens University, beating Iowa. That's not awful, and then beating Minnesota in overtime. That 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 game was ugly. Yeah, although one of the uniform matchups of the season, they had some great uniforms in that game. Okay, but they did lose to Kansas State, Michigan State, and Illinois. So. They are pretty much par for the course. Maybe the Iowa game gets flipped in our expectations, but they did about as well as we expected. Yeah. So they're currently nine and eight, two and four in conference, and it's it's Nebraska ball. I mean, it's it's what we expect. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's still amazing to me that they were able to to put up such a game against Purdue in that first one. Of course, it was on the road, but I mean, Nebraska is not exactly known for you know having some stellar atmosphere or uh, a really tough environment, tough place to play. So it, it was it was very shocking that that happened. But Purdue hung on to win in overtime, as I said, sixty five sixty two. Fletcher Lawyer was the leading scorer in that one. He had twenty two points. But it was one of those games, he took 21 shots to get there, including 2 for 10 from 3. Um, he's obviously playing a lot better recently, so um, our hope is that he can kind of uh, push Purdue back to where they were playing uh, when they were out in Portland or recently against Ohio State or Penn State. Um, he is probably going to be one of the key players in this game, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I would think so. And I since this game, Purdue has had a recipe. Everyone knows Purdue's recipe. It's getting the ball to Zach Eady. Right. There's no way Zach Eady only puts up seven shots again in uh, this game. Yeah, I can't imagine. He had seven shots in 43 minutes. That will not happen again. No. And, and, I, and you saw it with... And you mentioned, I think when we covered this game the first time, how Nebraska defended him differently. Um, they just basically mm-hmm. threw bodies at him, right? They doubled and triple teamed him in this first game, and it was effective in having him not take shots. And then when Zach Eady did get to the line, he was playing 43 minutes, so he you know, struggled at the free throw line. He was one of four in this game, and he they forced five turnovers on Zach Eady. So it was one of those games where if you throw bodies at him, I think that's one of the times Zachy's actually tired. He played all forty three you know, forty three minutes, but he wasn't his normal effective self in those forty three minutes, at least not all of them. Right, right. So he definitely showed his size in this game. I mean, he had 17 rebounds and uh, seven blocks. Yeah. So he definitely has a leg up when it comes to size. And if Purdue can make their threes in this game, it's going to be an issue. They shot 24% from the three-point line in this last matchup with Nebraska. It, it's definitely Purdue is capable of repeating that, but their numbers have been trending better. 
yeah. these last couple games, yeah. especially in the second half. Yeah, the second half has really been uh, where Purdue has played their best, both against Ohio State and Penn State. Um, and it's worth noting in that first game, I mean, it's not exactly like Nebraska was shooting the lights out of the ball. I mean, looking at their percentages, they were 31% from the field, 28% from three, um, 70% from the free throw line, but they only took 10 uh, compared with Purdue's 20. So uh, it, it is not exactly like Purdue um, played bad defense and allowed Nebraska to put up a bunch of points. Uh, it was wow. more like Nebraska just kind of dragged Purdue down to their level uh, and turned it into a rock fight. And luckily, yeah. Purdue was able to survive in overtime. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Purdue went into half in that game. If you'll remember, they were up by 10 um, and then got outscored by 10 in the second half. And the game just slowly, slowly, slowly slipped away from Purdue. And they were really lucky to hang on and get to overtime uh, in that one. So we hope it's not a repeat of that that first matchup for sure. Yeah, that, and it's worth noting, Mason Gillis did not play in that game. That was one of the games he was out with a back injury. So Mason Gillis will be back for this one, and um, I definitely can see him eating up a lot of those minutes, especially, you know, if you need to play Gillis in first and give a breather to Zach Eady, that will work. But also, Trey Kaufman runs come and played better as of late. So he hasn't been getting a super big amount of minutes, but it's starting to Matt Painter is playing around with the minutes more and more. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to get into a groove with where we know what kind of matchups we would like throughout the game. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely getting to the point of the season where you'll sometimes see Painter kind of constrict his rotation. And obviously the first casualty of that so far this year has been Brian Waddell. Um, Yeah. He he only got two minutes in the first Nebraska game, so you know he wasn't much of a factor there. But at the same time, you've seen him, uh, you know, not get in in a couple games, and even you know only only be in there kind of in garbage time if it's a blowout. So he's been the first casualty of that tightened rotation. Uh, we'll see if mm-hmm. David Jenkins Jr. and Trey Kaufman Wren uh, and Brandon Newman to a lesser extent continue to get minutes in this Nebraska game. Um, they both had all three of those guys had 18 or more in the first matchup, but as you pointed out, rightfully so, uh, Mason Gillis did not play in that game. So you know there were minutes to go around, and we'll see how that impacts the rotation this time. Yeah, and it's definitely to your point. Brandon Newman is getting on the court primarily because of his defense. It seems now he is really that second best option to Ethan Morton. For all right, you go out there and you guard the second best uh, or the best player on the court or the best guard on the court, I should say. Right. So he is playing really nice defense. He's getting his hand on the ball. Yeah, he's been I mean, very it seems active. Like two or three times. Yeah, very active hands. It's it's nice to see. So I think that will allow Brandon to continue to get minutes, even yeah, I- if there's. Yeah, those restrictions. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you really saw in the second half against Penn State, not just from Brandon Newman, but really from everybody. I mean, the defensive intensity just ratcheted up. There were bodies diving all over the floor. Passes were getting knocked away. Um, You know, that second half against Penn State is really what we want to see this team do for the rest of the year, you know, game in and game out. And I know that's a lot to ask, you know, for a team to never have an off night, but... Um, that is the team we've seen be capable. That is how we've seen this team be capable of playing, and we would love to see it, you know, each and every game. But um, we understand, you know, these are these are kids who are 18 to 22 years old, or I believe David Jenkins Jr. is around 35. Um, 
because he's been in college for so long. But, uh, you know, you're going to have some inconsistencies, but hopefully they can fight through them and uh, hopefully uh, continue to play like they did against Penn State. So is there anybody on Nebraska um, who you're particularly worried about, who you think we need to watch out for uh, coming up in this game on Friday? I think the easy answer is Sam Greasel. He is just a really big, really athletic guard that can get past you and kind of body you in uh down low so that's something that when you have your Ethan Morton or your Braden Smith guarding him you know they're not particularly used to guarding someone down there in the post right and then I guess my second answer is kind of um kind of just because this player brings that juju a little bit and that's uh I'm gonna botch this uh Kisi Tominaga Okay, yeah. So yeah, he played. He, he was, played great against Purdue in that first yeah. uh, first game, and he was a guy. Honestly, I don't think I knew anything about going into the game. Mm-hmm. I just know he's got the heart of like a twelve year old. It's great to watch. Like yeah. he just loves the game of basketball, and he's fun to watch. It's just when he hits the circus shots, you don't want to see that. And we've had enough circus shots after watching Jalen Pickett play yeah. last week. Yeah, I mean. I will, you know, give him credit because, as I said, I don't think I knew a darn thing about him going into that uh, first matchup with Nebraska. And mm-hmm. you want to hate a guy who just, like, takes it to your team. But as you said, he was just out there having so much fun. He was smiling. You know, he was just having the time of his life in that game. Went four for eight from deep, scored 19 points coming off the bench. Um, and it was just like, I can't hate him. He Like, that's how I wish everybody played basketball. Uh, with that kind of heart and that kind of like joy, so uh, I mean it was incredible to see. But obviously, I will not be rooting for him in this game. Uh, but he's certainly an X factor to watch because uh, he clearly saw something when he played against Purdue the first time. Yeah. So. Yep, and I think it's also important to note that uh, Derek Walker Jr. didn't play as much of a factor as he could have in the last game. He's their leading scorer on the team, but just with Zach Eady out there, Zach Eady was drawing fouls left and right, and he put three different Nebraska defenders in, had four fouls by the end of the game. So we'll see if they can somehow get around that. But, again, if Zach Eady's getting the ball and actually taking shots, it seems like he'd be drawing even more fouls. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. So, I mean, for me personally, I mean, I know we don't generally make predict- predictions game by game on uh, basketball just because it's, you know, there's so many games. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I-, I expect this to be a win, not necessarily, you know, a, a, as close as the last one. I expect Purdue to kind of win this one by almost double digits. But mm-hmm. I- I'm excited just to see them get back home um, after a couple tough games on the road and uh, see what this team is capable of. So you have anything else for Nebraska? If not, I think we're going to head out for the evening. Yeah, I mean, not too much. Nebraska ball is just its own little animal. Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, you, they weren't brought into the Big Ten for their basketball prowess. Uh, they're, you know, brought in for the football, and they haven't lived up to that. So, you know, we still, get a, we still have to have them uh, play in the basketball side. So... It's, it's Maybe well, they have a really good rowing team. I have no idea if that's true. 
Yeah, we know rowing is really big out in Nebraska with all the Nebraska <laughs> seas and lakes. Uh, you know, I'm going to think you're lying to me right now. But, but potentially. But but honestly, I don't know. I don't know. Right. I assume you're lying, but who can tell? Um, so there you go. Uh, Purdue, next game against Nebraska, going to be Friday, 7 p.m. on BTN. So... We look for another victory and stay atop those Big Ten standings. For Ryan and myself, thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great night.